Welcome to The People's Show with Big Nazar and Randeep Janda. Hey, good afternoon. It is The People's Show. Bik Nazar, Randeep Janda, Dominic Shermati, and you, the people, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotic provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Got a lot to get into today. But as, as I'm sure you are aware, today is September 30th, with his Truth and Reconciliation Day and in recognition of the National Day for Truth and Reconciliations, radio stations across the country are coming together across to amplify, elevate, listen, and learn from Indigenous voices with a Day to Listen 2022 across Canada. It's in partnership with the Gore Downey and Chinese Wenjek Fund. Listeners, you can tune in to radio stations across the country, including our music stations, Sonic 104.9, Jack 96.9, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. today. You will hear stories from Indigenous leaders, residential school survivors, musicians, and teachers. And for more information, visit adaytolisten.ca. Randeep. Vic, a very important day as well. We've grown up in this community like everybody and a lot of folks that maybe went through the school system. And I got to say, growing up, didn't know too much about mm -hmm. residential schools and their impact to this day, their generational impact. So you mentioned a day to listen and learn. Absolutely right. This is a day to learn from the community, learn from survivors. And it's not only today, but I'm, I'm glad there is a day where we can focus on this because those voices, they need to be heard. And hopefully this is just a start. And it was a uh, tremendous pregame ceremony mm -hmm. as well uh, last night at the Canucks game. Uh, inspirational messages by many leaders in the area as well. So uh, it was fantastic to see that. And again, uh, if you want more information, visit a day to listen dot ca. Bick Nazar and Randy Janda here on the People's Show, also run by Dominic Tremati. You can also chime in six fifty six fifty into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. So there was a game last night. We'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux, who met with media earlier today as well after a skate. Takeaways from last night, Randy. We talked a little bit on the post-game show. Uh, are you as fired up as people, I think, are over that result? A solid 40 minutes of hockey. The final 20, uh, not what you want to see. And I'm not going to lose my mind over a preseason game. But if you look at that final 20 minutes, you can clearly tell that Dave Haxtell was not happy with his team. Remember, his team was missing two NHL players from the roster in that game. They lost two bodies, Michael Kempney and Jonas Donskoy. And being up 3-1, that should be, all right, they're on the ropes. We're going to finish this off in the final 20 minutes. Just building those good habits. And sometimes they don't happen in the preseason, but yesterday was an opportunity where it could have. I can understand why Bruce Boudreaux, I can understand why Jim Rutherford, he mentioned it on Sunday or Monday, how he wasn't happy with the effort. I'm sure certain managers and certain coaches on that team are not happy with the final 20 minutes. And I'm not losing my mind, but that's not, that's not something you want to see. In the in, Even in a preseason game where you're in control of that game, that second period, they didn't score, but they were dominating. Mm -hmm. And rather than finish the game, 
you let it slip away. Now, Bruce did mention how many shots that they missed last night. It was equal to the amount of shots they got on net. Yep. 36 off the net, 36 on the net. You get some of those in, maybe one of those turns into a goal. This isn't as big of a story. So to me, correct that issue, and I think you correct the latter issue on its own. I guess it comes down to, like, what are you trying to accomplish? Like, I, I don't have the temperature for preseason results, really. For me, preseason is get the rust off your game, get up to game speed as well as you can in preparation for game one of the regular season. I understand, hey, you want to develop good habits. And to be honest, I, I some of the things that Bruce Boudreaux said last night and that I imagine he's going to say this morning, probably more so to reinforce good habits publicly is it that much of a concern privately? And and that's where I just kind of say I just don't have the temperature to get worked out of my framework of what I want to see in the preseason. No, it's not a concern. And if anything, if I'm the coaching staff, I'm, I might low-key actually want this early on in the year just to see. Just to serve as a reminder. Exactly. You're playing a couple of AHL heavy teams, really. And you want to reinforce the point that every game is going to mean something and nothing is going to be given to you. If I'm the coach, this is a, a gives you an opportunity to kind of reinforce that message. As a fan, as somebody who covers the team, you'd probably want to see a little bit more consistent effort. But if you're a coach, you're saying, you know what? It gives me an opportunity to raise my voice and reinforce the message that has been out in the media, has been out there where you can't have a start to the season like you did last year. So, Bick, if anything, I'm with you. I'm not concerned. That, to me, is just not a a good way to end the night where it sets the story for a coach to say, you know what? I'm going to use this moment to go into what we were talking about last year. I'm going to reinforce mm-hmm. what management is talking about. Which I about. think is fair. And, and it's fair. But, but I'm, not coming not to any, out. I'm not coming to any sweeping conclusions off of any preseason. No, We've seen the Detroit Lions go 4-0. Sure. It's like, oh, is this team good? And they go winless. You know who's unbeaten right now? The Seattle Kraken. Yeah. So that, that's all there you, you need to say. It's... Again, I understand why people are concerned about it. It just it just doesn't raise my blood pressure Hello? at all. You play to win the game. Okay, he, I mentioned this on the bro- regular season games. Though, I mentioned this on the broadcast. I'm sorry you have to bring it up. I don't want to see overtime in preseason. <laughs> I don't. All right, and and this is not me being lazy that I don't want to do work for an extra you know few seven minutes, to ten minutes. Seven to ten minutes, but it's meaningless hockey. Niels Oman crashes behind the net into Jack Rathbone right. in a meaningless overtime. Yeah. We don't need extra seven minutes. You, you got to practice three on three, Randy. You got to practice. Come on. They've been doing that their whole life. Playing ball hockey and early on in their careers. You don't need to do it again. Three on three. <laughs> uh, we should we're get talking into... about the preseason, guys. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Not, not a regular not season game. game. Not the yeah. game. Not the game I love. In the not, regular season. Not the game that they go out and die for. I in lo- the regular season. Yeah. I love that we both vibed on oh, that yeah, immediately. Absolutely. We talking about preseason. You picked up what I threw down. <laughs> we talking about preseason. What about settings? How am I going to make my teammates better in preseason? <laughs> That's what Elias Pettersson saying. <laughs> uh, but let's, uh, we did this after the first preseason game or the first uh, couple of preseason games. Uh, let's do a stock up, stock down. Uh, is there anyone who had a bigger night than Andre Kuzmenko? Nope. That stock, it's it's like, uh, is it AMC? Oh, hopefully it's not. Hopefully, but like, hopefully it, it doesn't it, keep it, crashing down. It rose, didn't it? It's shooting to the moon. It right. did, yeah. It did at one point. I don't know where it's at now. I, I long, <laughs> long sold that stock. But it's Wait, shooting. Wait, did you buy into AMC? I, I bought into, yeah, AMC. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't make much money. No, I was not fine. a part of the, uh, I did not go to the moon. 
But you were part I of the trend. I barely left the stratosphere. You were part of the trend? I was a part of that All trend. Right. Um, Good for you. Kuzmenko. Yeah, that was a huge night for him, right? You, you wanted to see a couple of things. And I think what I wanted to see was him continue to shoot. In that Calgary game, it didn't seem like he kind of teased where what he could do. He has, you could see he was, you know, a heavy shot. He wasn't afraid to shoot. He was trying to find that open space. But yesterday, him and developing that chemistry with not only Elias Pettersson, which is something that you saw five on five, you saw in the power play, but that pass, stepping into the pass from Quinn Hughes and just coming off that bench at the right time and then taking that shot. I love the fact that he was not shy in that regard, where maybe in that first game against Calgary, the puck is on a stick, easy tapping. He's not ready for it. Yesterday, he looked ready. And that that's not going to take time for a guy that clearly is not afraid to shoot. And so yesterday, yeah, let's stock up, stock way up, probably higher than anybody. I think Elias Pettersson had a great game too. But we kind of expect that from Elias Pettersson. Kuzmenko needed that game, and he showed it. Yeah, my stock up is uh, for Andre Kuzmenko as well. But Elias Pettersson too. Uh, you mentioned him. He looked fantastic. Uh, Welcome to the NHL, Shane, right? Oh, well, that play as well. But, <laughs> yeah, the, the Church of Pedersen. Uh, he was the most engaged player, I would say. And the thing that was really encouraging, not just the two assists, um, nine shot attempts. Yep. If there is a more aggressive Elias Pedersen forthcoming here, that is scary because... To get to that next level of breaking the threshold of 75, 80, 85 points, you're going to have to become a dominant shooter. And I don't just mean you can pick your spots. As far as shot share creation, you're going to have to start getting to that stage. We haven't seen that from Elias Pettersson. He's been rather hesitant at times to shoot and unleash a shot that it's not like someone's like, oh, it can be good. We all know it's good. He knows it's good. But it's almost as if he tries to be too deferential. Yeah. If he becomes a little bit more selfish, get that classic soccer striker mentality and just finish chances, get chances, sell out for tap-ins or things like that, if, if he starts developing that mentality and we start seeing him shoot three, four times a night, that's that's a big boost for the projection of Elias Pettersson this season. And you're starting to see that. What I like about his game especially is that, you know, a couple of years ago, I think it was two years ago, and Yannick Hansen was talking about Bo Horvat and saying, hey, when you're you're paid a certain amount or you're in a top six role, the excuse of line mates does not matter, right? You're supposed to produce. When it comes to Elias Pettersson, I think we're starting to see that. Where Linus Carlson, you can tell, Linus has a long way to go to be a, an everyday Mm-hmm. NHL player. Yesterday was a an okay game for him. Flicked it, a couple of glove side wrist shots. Sure, he was nothing too troubling. No, and it was you know he's keen to shoot, which is something I was yep. looking to looking to see. They were from distance. Yeah, and, and you hope for shoot, traffic. Yeah. But did he get any in tight chances? Not really. It was the guy's not afraid to shoot, but there's nothing dangerous about his shots. But that being said, Elias Pettersson, if he can even create, look dangerous, uplift some of his teammates of that quality, which are not to the same level of him, but that's what good players are supposed to do. So it's not only about being more selfish. The fact that he's able to play a role where he can elevate those other guys, and I don't expect Linus Carlson to be on that line full-time. I think that was an experiment. Yeah. Didn't go all that, you know, it wasn't prolific, and you probably move on, but you give Linus Carlson a chance. I don't know if he passed, but he got a, he was he was present. Let's put it that way. 
it wasn't a bad game. It wasn't a bad, but like it's, there was the wow factor wasn't there. When you're in a spot where you have to have standout games, sure. Was that a standout game for him? No, it wasn't. And he he was filling in. The only real standout game I could, he was the Broadway stand-in. That's basically it. Pretty much. Yeah, and that was you know the only standout game was really Kuzmenko I think of the of the players that you wanted to see more from. However, another stock up that I'd give out, and this is not based on. Wow, this person really influenced the game. But to me, Dakota Joshua and what he brings and how different it is to the Canucks roster, that's one stock up for me because it's just so different. The Canucks haven't had a player yeah. like that, even if it's nine minutes or ten minutes a game, different identity, and he's going to keep people honest out there on the ice with six hits last night. Well, Keith the Water Guy is saying that as well. Dakota Joshua's stock up for him. Um, again, it was... Rather a low event. You didn't notice him too much, but the thing that you want to see is are you bringing physicality? And there were two massive hits that you could just see, okay, the physical presence that a lot of people wanted. You know, Zach McEwen, Jonah Gadjevich's names have been echoed here by Canucks fans quite a great deal over the last couple of years, last season especially, obviously. But there looked a little bit more functionality to his game. Um, it, it, it'll grow, obviously, but... If you're bringing a trait, if you're bringing a certain skill set, he brought the heavy last night, and that was awesome to see. Yeah, and that's something that Vancouver hasn't had in a while. Now, who's the ideal line? I think Curtis Lazar and him would be a a great pairing, and that's the way you expect to see it, depending, of course, on the Mikheyev injury Mm -hmm. and how long he's out. So we'll see what happens in the, the roster decisions for tomorrow night's game against Seattle in Seattle. But with Dakota Joshua, I think if you can pair the right skill set next to him, a little bit more of an influence on the game. I think Niels Oman has shown good things. Okay, well, I, let's talk about the yeah. right influence then. Because I think someone that had an interesting game last night, um, the underlying numbers would really suggest he had a fantastic game. I just thought it was fine. But, like, Niels Hoaglander, yeah. we've talked about, oh, well, you're not on the fourth line because Dickinson and Lazar and Joshua just make sense of the fourth line. What if there's a scenario where it's not a Kuzmenko versus Hoaglander battle, where if you're going to be tenacious, and he worked really hard yeah, last night. Yeah, there was night. energy in his There game. was energy, yep. and there was forecheck uh, savviness and managed to create a turnover or two in the offensive zone, just working hard there. What if it's Dickinson versus Hoaglander as a camp battle here rather than Kuzmenko? Because based on what Kuzmenko did, yeah, did, he... did last night, suddenly there's just a huge gap here. And the biggest... I think start, you know the selling point for Kuzmenko is obviously the shot, the playmaking. It's, yeah. it's in a top six level. Now, with Niels Hoaglander, I'm with you. I think the energy was there. He was aggressive on the forecheck. What does he provide that Dickinson doesn't? Those things. Yeah. Right? And, but, and probably a little bit more offense as well. However. Well, that's the key, right? Yeah. It, does that open up the ice a little bit more that you don't have to just put out the fourth line and say, hey, just get to the other end and dump it in and we'll change and we'll try to win the puck back that way. Yeah. If you can create offense next to someone with Dakota Joshua, Joshua, which is a different skill set than Lazar and Dickinson are going to have. Is that something that's more interesting to And I would like to see that line. I'd like to see Lazar, Hoaglander, Dakota Joshua, because what you could do, and I'm not saying this is going to be the exact same thing that you have, that Vegas had, but remember Vegas, when they were going a few years back, remember that fourth line with Ryan Reeves on it, Mm -hmm. where they weren't necessarily a scoring fourth line, but what did they do? They went out, they were energetic, they played a heavy game, and they were aggressive on the four-track. And at the very least, what they did was box in teams in the defensive zone and bring out those top two lines that were fresh. And essentially what you had was you had a tired line playing against your top two lines. 
and you were in trouble. And, and that's the ideal, where you're saying you have a speedy and a heavy physical fourth line that can, is able to do that. I think Hoaglander, if he can disrupt and be active in that neutral zone, be aggressive on the fortress. And it doesn't have to look like crushing guys through the no, boards like no. we saw with Dakota Joshua, no. but engage physically. Sure, and if you're the F2 coming in, are you there to support? Mm-hmm. And I think Niels Hoaglander can be either one of those, where he's disrupting as the first forward in or the second forward in. So I would rather see Niels Hoaglander. It's a little bit more high event, which I know if you're a Jason Dickinson fan out there, all five of you, you know that might be something that you're probably mm-hmm. saying, okay, that might be a little too... Too much going on where Jason Dickinson, he's safe. He's not going to give you much offensively, but at the very least, you know you've got a responsible forward who's not going to give up that much either. And I think it's important, too, to recognize when we're talking about the bottom end of the roster, and this is something Bruce has talked about even going back to last year, um, it doesn't have to be this is our lineup, it's going to be the same every night. A, there's going to be injuries, but B, you can play situationally. Are there going to be days and games where you want Dickinson over Hoaglander? Probably. Are there going to be games where you want Hoaglander over Dickinson? Probably. You can play that matchup role if they're all in the roster. I think we can all sit here and say Nils Hoaglander is one of the 12 most talented forwards that they have. We've We've debated role for him. And if there's an energy component to his game, which it's difficult to bring, and it requires him evolving a little bit too, but if he's willing to do that, well, then you would rather him than Jason Dickinson because there's just more pop to his game that is not going to be provided by Dickinson. Well, a big criticism of Hoaglander previously has also been, you know, in certain games he's really engaged. Other ones, he's kind of MIA, maybe a little bit more perimeter than you want to see, where this is a way you can break through that. This is a challenge to Niels Hoaglander say you have to be better. But at the same time, that competition factor of, hey, if you slip up, there's somebody right behind you that wants that role. I think last year, even though the Canucks, in theory, had depth, as the season went on, we saw that depth really wasn't there. And you were pretty much given an opportunity to play in the lineup, even if if you're Jason Dickinson or Niels Hoaglander, for that matter. That's changed this year. Once everybody's healthy, there's going to be legit competition. And I I look at this scenario where you're Niels Hoaglander. Yeah, absolutely. This should be a, a good spot for him because I don't think you can rely on his offense at this point in his career. But you want to get the best effort out of him. And on that line, there's a blend. There's a nice balance of physicality, uh, you know, intimidation. You know, even yesterday, Dakota Joshua, when he was on the ice, Seattle noticed. Seattle was in a position to take notice of what was going on. And I do think that's important. It's the Milan Lucic factor when he's going around hitting people or one of his teammates does it. Guys puff out their chest and say, yeah, we did that. And we're not like we're not we're not worried about the retribution because we got this guy playing alongside us. That does matter, and you play a little bit more confident. I think that would work for Niels Hoaglander as well. 650-650, If you want to chime in, be part of the show into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Marks and Gibson stock up for Quinn's skating ability, uh, and also uh, uh, Miller has been invisible through preseason. Uh, Leaf hater Steve. I don't worry about Jason. Yeah, I'm not too concerned about it. Yeah, I. I if he's costing you a game or something like that, like I didn't like the Connor Garland giveaway in the neutral zone that led to the equalizer. Oh, yeah. That was brutal. But if you're not seeing plays like that, I'm not worried. JT Miller, as a power forward in this game, do I want him going shoulder to shoulder with a lot of defensemen right now? Probably not. Hey, go at 80%. I, I don't mind that. I know that's probably contrary to what Bruce Boudreaux's comments are and what they want to see, but you got to remember, some of these guys play a little differently. JT Miller, he is a power forward. He's going to get into those battles. So I don't necessarily worry about him maybe 
not dominating games yet because game one is when that really matters. He's not competing for a spot here. I want to see maximum effort when possible, of course, but I'm not worried about him not putting up points or taking over games at this point. Uh, we'll get to stock down later on in the show, talk about the power play as well, and uh, a lot of comments coming right now into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That's right. Tua. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that at some point. We will show. talk about that. we got a lot going on today's show. Yeah. Uh, it's time for the People's Picks, though, brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports, brought to you by BCLC. Looking ahead to week four in the NFL, Randy. Uh, we'll do big six later on, uh, but looking ahead to some uh, prop bets that we're looking at or some sides. What are you looking at? All right, I'm looking at the AFC South battle between the Colts and the Titans, and the Titans secondary they got some problems back there. They got some young players. They don't have the most experience as well. So I'm looking at Michael Pittman Jr. for receiving yards over 85 this weekend. In the first three weeks of the season, the Titans have given up 255 yards to wide receiver ones. That's a lot. 85 per game. They've given up five touchdowns. So if you look at what they've been able to give up in those previous games, I think Michael Pittman Jr., he's fully healthy now. And this Titan team's in a world of hurt. I think Michael Pittman will hit that 85 number. There's a little bit on it. It's 2.4 on this payout. I'm willing to take that risk because I just, I'm not a fan of the Titans, and I think Pittman Jr. is going to have a, a big, big game here. I'm going to a total today, uh, Falcons and Browns. Now, the total for this game is actually 47. I'm going with an alternate total here. I'm going to 50, so we're going for uh, better odds here. It's 2.25 plus 125. Give me the over 50 points in a non-conference game, which historically tends to hit the overs as well, yep. and two very good offenses uh, in this game as well. And I should mention my over is alternate as well. Yep. Uh, the actual over-under in Pittman with a lower payout is 55 yards which I think he gets easily mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm willing to push it up a little bit more because of what the Titans haven't been able to do against wideout ones uh, that's the people's picks brought to you by play now sports when you choose to bet on sports at playnow.com you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC know your limit play within it on the other side Randeep uh, we've mentioned this all week we will be talking to Kat Jamie uh, director of the Grizzly Truth, and joining her will be Steve Francis, Heard former of Vancouver Grizzlies draft pick, former Houston Rockets player. Uh, we will talk to him on the other side. Uh, should be an exciting, enlightening conversation as they get ready for the premiere of The Grizzly Truth, which is a documentary which premieres tomorrow at the VIF Theater, also on Wednesday, October 5th, uh, and with a later theatrical release coming later on this year as well. I'm looking forward to this because mm -hmm. this is from the, what, the last 23 years. It's been that long. 23 years. Bic, you see me. I, you wear the t Grizzlies t-shirt. Mm -hmm. I got my hats and the t-shirts and everything. Izzy was here yesterday rocking the jacket. For sure. I was thinking about wearing my Grizzlies hat today yeah. as well, but I, I opted against it. But this is something that has been a, it's been a huge, huge, like a, a therapy moment for Vancouver sports fans of, the, you know, the Will Smith scene from Fresh Prince. Why don't he like me? Or why right. don't he want me? Right? Like, sure. that sort of thing. And Vancouver, you know, it's been, it's a huge thing. When it comes to our sports identity, the Grizzlies and what they meant, and that draft moment has been, has been something I look back and say, man, how about if it, how about if it didn't go like that? Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to talk to Steve Francis, just not only about the film, but also just the, how that went down and what happened? Why it went down? Yeah, what what happened and why?
Uh, he's part of the documentary as well, which again premieres tomorrow at the VIF Theater. We'll talk to Steve Francis and Cat Jamie on the other side. You're listening to The People Show. Final segment of the People's Show, Vic Nazar, Randy Janda, it's Dominic Shramati as well, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. This hour of the People's Show, brought to you by Avenue Machinery, Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, and douglaslakeequipment.com. We had a little uh, slip-up there. I don't know if you heard the delay coming back from break. No, what happened? Uh, Dom had some challenges. Uh, behind the glass there. Actually, I would say the technology has some challenges. I'm not going to blame Dom. Sometimes tech just doesn't work the way you and, want it to. And while the Sometimes music... Sometimes Dom doesn't work the way you want it to. Yeah, <laughs> well, listen. And, <laughs> I'm only paid so much, Randy. And while the song was going, Dom got in my ears like, this isn't even the song I wanted. So let's redo this and let Dom come back. We're not live song. anyways. It's yeah, no, good. it's fine. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad we did this. This is a great decision. Is this like... What is this song called? Uh, this is the East Village. Okay, so I was gonna say this sounds like Empire State of Mind. So it have been playing in my 3.2 Acura TL back in the day. I was gonna say that there Some had to be a New York reference. Out. This sounds like Empire State of Mind. Knockoff version. Yeah, obviously. But like, it's a decent beat though. Can you start it from the top again? That bass. Yeah. Wait for it. Yeah. Tell me this doesn't sound like. It does. Yeah. It does. A little bit more synthesized. Yeah, please stop singing. Uh, I don't want to get copyright flag. Bick will be oh. uh, freestyling yeah, to this beat cool. this weekend at a bar near you. <laughs> no, I got to chill out this weekend. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm working the game tomorrow. That's right. Uh, we we'll, the... we'll be working that together. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, get to it. It's... Uh... Oh, come on. Lean into it. Don't be so shy, Vic. No. You had a winning I, I, week last I, week, I, man. I, I did. I, I just didn't want to get to... Because I had the first winning week, and I didn't want to get too high on my own supply here. Uh, so I'm just trying to ease my way into it, because uh, I know you guys love to jump all over it. You had a winning week. I got I got no beef with you this week, although I'm... I'm trying to be uh, even keel, is, is what I'm trying to do. Not get too high, not get too low, because I think that was my mistake. After, although I did say, like, hey. No, no, come on. Hubris is a great thing in radio. Please, <laughs> please be arrogant. You're, you're, you're pro-hubris and slander. That's oh, what yeah. you're all about for radio here. Absolutely. And I, I live that life. All right, let's get to it. It is Big Six. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Take it to the house. It's Big Six. Last week, 4-1-1, one, and one, making us 10-7-1 on the year. Good for 58.8% on the season. All right. I got to tell you this week, there's a lot of bad teams playing each other, so we're going to live in the slot, baby. Bears plus three Ooh. at the Giants. It's two bad teams. Give me the field goal. Bears do have a strong running game so far. Been happy to grind it out. Khalil Herbert is a star waiting to break out. He'll get the main workload with David Montgomery out. Kadarius Tony is out for the Giants as well. Giants two wins were by a combined four points. They're coming off the Monday nighter versus division rival Dallas. They got a big game coming up as well versus Lambeau. They overlook the Bears in this spot. Take the points. Bears win 
24-20. Browns minus one at the Falcons. I think this is going to be a high-scoring game. We talked about it earlier. I like the over even at 50. Two creative offensive minds running this show and two teams doing good things offensively as well. And I have great concern over Miles Garrett being out. I am expecting to see just an uptick from the Browns' front seven, though, to accommodate a missing star player. The Ewing Theory. Uh, that's always love to get reference. I'm just picking the best unit in this game. For me, that's the Browns' running game. I think they'll be able to play this game on the front foot, play with the lead, and mistake-free football, which is what we've talked about with the Browns a lot so far this season. Uh, something the Rams didn't do versus the Falcons, and they let the Falcons back into that game. They were loose with the ball, had a block punt as well trusting the Browns in this spot. Give me the points. Or you either give the points. Browns, 28-27. Okay. Um, you know what I like about that, though? Drake London is somebody that, I, as a young player, really good to watch. That means they're going to be chasing this game. I don't mind that. I right. don't mind that. He's going to get some yards. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, let's go to Kansas City, minus one and a half at Tampa Bay. I want to see the Bucks' offense actually thrive before I'm ready to buy back into what this offense is right now. I know Mike Evans comes back. Tom Brady is Tom Brady. But I just want to see them succeed for a game at least before I can start saying, hey, this is one of the premier teams. The defense is really strong, and obviously they had success against Kansas City in the Super Bowl. But this is a low number for a team coming off of a loss that has that Super Bowl revenge. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's minus one and a half uh, for the Chiefs. Andy Reid got to get the uh, – Train back on the rails here. I'm going to lay the one and a half. Chiefs win in a tight one, though. 24-20. And they do have some bulletin board material for this as well. Shaq Barrett basically saying that the offensive line is still not very good of the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. So he's challenging that offensive line. The Chiefs have something to prove here. And even though they're on the road, is this the week that they, they put up points? Against a good defense in the Bucks? I think so. Like, we give them the benefit of the doubt. And they got to deliver I, at some point. And there. I think last week you saw some mental mistakes getting ready for this game, which is going to be in prime time. And we know what the, the changes that could have been for the host venue and all that sort of stuff. So maybe that's preyed on the minds as well for Tampa Bay. Uh, we're playing the Chiefs, minus one and a half. Raiders, minus two and a half versus the Broncos. I'm just going to keep pounding the Broncos. Uh, I know they got the result last week. Uh, I, I'm just not convinced either one of these teams are well coached. But this is season on the line spot, basically, for the Raiders. If they're to have any hope this season, you have to get this one right at home versus a division rival in your 0-3. This is a kitchen sink game. You don't win this one. Josh McDaniels, he's a Fugazi as a head coach. Yeah, he's, it's over. He's done. Like, it's it, – it's, we don't need to pretend anymore that he's got this all figured out on the second stint. You go 0-4, you make the trade for Devontae Adams, and you can't get results. Uh, this is it for me. Lay the points with the Raiders. They win. 24-17. I'm going to back the Saints, Randy, in a London game, plus three. The true London the Derby. Yeah, yeah. So there's no home field advantage or anything. Vikings are traveling late, though. And, yeah, I got my concerns about the Saints offense. I still really like the defense. And, I yeah, I don't love that the Vikings travel late into London. They're, they're going to play this out, say, like, hey, we, we can deal with the time difference and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I'm going to take the Saints. I think you get pretty equal coaching staffs. Andy Dalton looked like he might start for Jameis Winston, which, yeah, in theory is a downgrade, but it's the version of Jameis Winston that you're getting with the injury. He just looks banged up. So hopefully Andy Dalton just maintains the ball. 
Okay, that's a risky one. I know. Uh, I, I I do wonder how Kirk Cousins plays. Uh, it's this is technically not a primetime game, no, but, but it's, it's a standalone there it is a spotlight. Game. It's a standalone game. It's a standalone. It's a spotlight game. But the Saints with Andy Dalton. Okay, that's a bold move. I'm going to take uh, the points. 23-20. And again, I mentioned there's a lot of just bad teams playing each other. So this is another uh, hold-your-nose one. Uh, Arizona plus one at the Panthers. I think the line is kind of telling you. Traditionally, you would say just two and a half points for the home team. Arizona is probably the slightly better team. I get them at a point. Uh, I'm just going to hold my nose and hope Kyler is better than Baker, which feels like a safe bet to make. I know Marquise Brown is uh, listed out or questionable. Uh, I haven't seen the latest injury report, but could be a problem with him, a star receiver, but hoping Kyler can create more than Baker will. All right, so you've played a couple of uh, hold-your-nose games in this one. Yeah. A little risky. A little risky. The problem is, like, look at the card this week. It's, uh, like, Buffalo's playing Baltimore. Yeah. Marquee teams. KC's playing Tampa. Marquee teams. Yeah. Rams are playing 49ers. Marquee teams. New England's playing Green Bay. Well, the Niners used to be a marquee team. Sure. But there, there's a lot of Jets-Steelers. There's a lot of Seahawks-Detroit games. There's a uh, Chicago Bears game. There's a uh, sorry Chicago Giants game that we picked. So there is a lot of uh, slop this week that I'm deciding to uh, live All in right. this week. Let's see how Big Six does this week. Four one and one last week. One and five the week before. I have to mention again. Just a recap of the picks here. It is Bears plus three, Browns minus one and a half, Chiefs minus half a point, Raiders minus two and a half, Saints plus three, and Cardinals plus one. I'd like to say good luck, Big Six. Yeah, but. That's not good content. I, I hope I hope you go one four again. And we need that balance. Good content is there's this, a, this winning. Yin and the yang. There's got to be the good. There's got to be the bad. <laughs> uh, we saw a little bit of good. Saw a little bit of bad last night. Canucks playing the Kraken. We talked about it earlier. The good. Elias Patterson looked fantastic. Quinn Hughes looked good. Had a nice assist. Couple of learning spots on that right side that kind of manifested. Not anything I'm really overly concerned about, but then Andrew Kuzmenko looked awesome as well. What changes do we see tomorrow, though? And one of them, one of them could be Quinn Hughes back on the left hand side. At practice today. That's right. That was the conversation of Quinn Hughes. How long does that experiment last? We talked about in the post game show yesterday as well, where Bruce Boudreaux said at least one more game, which was yesterday. Now, in today's practice, you saw Quinn back on the left-hand side. And I do wonder, because even though we know what that pairing can be, we know how special Quinn Hughes is. He's all over the ice. He basically called himself a surfer yesterday when he was talking about mm -hmm. roving all over the ice. I go back to that conversation we had yesterday on the postgame show, Vic. If you load up with that pairing, which I've wanted to see going back a couple of weeks, what's your second pairing? And... I was criticizing it all of last year, but it seems like OEL and Myers is still a thing. It seems like that's what they're gonna they're gonna give go back to that. That's your that's your security blanket. I, I'd like to see the experiment play out a bit longer. I'm not sure if one game is a sample, or if if tomorrow's lineup is just gonna be an indicator that uh, we'll see more veterans and you can play with the lineup a bit more. Because um, that was part of the thing yesterday. Like there was no Shannon Myers, so you could tinker yeah. and and experiment as much as you want. Uh, but we'll see if that continues throughout the course of the preseason. I, I think it deserves an honest chance during the season. 
he was on the right. But thing is, we saw yesterday, it was almost exclusive. There's no situational play to it. No, it was... They were, they were tied together exclusively. And the interchange of OEL stepping in and, and helping out Hughes whenever he left and, and was roving, it like or when they had to switch, you saw Quinn Hughes sometimes naturally move to the left, and OEL responded. He had to... He had to kind of fill in those gaps, which I like that. And that's a guy that's played on the right-hand side before he understands what it takes. Now, the other aspect is, and we didn't get into the stock down, but this is a part of the conversation. Danny DeKaiser, I know the numbers weren't that bad if you start looking at natural Stratrick and the scoring chances for and versus against. Well, the Canucks in general had the, the overwhelming shot share sure. last night. But I think one thing to keep an uh, eye on was that if you start looking at the heat map, Five on five, the Canucks did not get in tight all that much. They didn't. So even though the shot share was in favor of DeKaiser and his pairing by a couple here and there, nothing was in tight. Five on five. The five on five. And power play. Power play was was buzzing. It was <laughs> right coming along. The crease. Now with DeKaiser, that mobility really bothers me. I don't know if you can have that in the regular season. So he's a pro. He's been in every situation before. He's a guy that'll kill penalties, but five on five. And when you're facing pressure, I don't think his foot speed can work. I'd still like to see, like, we're getting to a stage, and we talked about it after the first game. I said, hey, veterans going through preseason, maybe they understand. If this is getting to a stage where now multiple people are ahead of him, I, I want to see, like, what Danny DeKaiser's best shot is. Give us your best game as this trends. But right now it's super not encouraging. But it's, it, it is getting to a stage of, if you can show us what your best game looks like, let's see what that is at this stage. Two but, games in, yeah, you haven't really seen it yet. And I know yesterday wasn't it wasn't bad. He didn't take any penalties mm-hmm. like he did in the first game. But the eye test in terms of that speed, we can see it. He's not exactly the fleetest of foot. Foot, and then who is he playing with? Right. If you are playing him with Myers, Myers is going to take chances. Mm-hmm. Are you the defenseman that's going to be able to react? You're going to have to cover a lot of space. You're going to have to cover a lot of space, and that's not Danny DeKaiser to me through two games anyways. It, it just feels like the the best role for him is just a penalty killer shot blocker, which is like the, the inverse of the old Marc-Andre Bergeron. We'll, we'll carry 7D, man, because you're well, great yeah. on the power play. Like, I don't know if you can live like that. No, you can't. You can't. And Tucker Pullman, you know, a couple of moments in yesterday's game, he took a hard hit in the corner. I, I think, look, I, I think people are being kind of harsh last night in the post-game show with Tucker Pullman. It, it's his first game in some time. Let him get his feet wet, get through this, and, and begin to grow in the process of the preseason. Did he look a bit hesitant at times? Yeah, he totally. did. But I think you can extend that to see the, the recovery process of a player and continue to... Like he's not going to step in and say, "All right, I'm exactly who I was in game 18 last year." It it, it has to it has to evolve. No, this is going to be a slow play, uh, and I think you know, as I was mentioning, the one moment I look at that game and say, "All right, Tucker Pullman, yes, of course you're trying to see timing, you're trying to see chemistry with the defensive partners and hesitancy, sure." But he took a hard hit in the corner, and that's what I'm looking at to say, "All right, how does he respond?" Kept on going, kept on ticking. Is there anything in those moments where? Maybe you see him getting up slow, or he goes to the bench right away. Nothing of the sort. So I think the first couple of games, it's going to be that, seeing what his reaction is like. And then, yeah, Vic, you're right. He's going to probably get a lot of these games in the preseason just to see if he can get four or five games together and how he looks at that point. I'm not worried about game one or worried about even game one or two. It's more about how does he look at the end of preseason, and is he closer to what you'd expect at that point in time? 
Vic Nazar and Randy Jand. If you missed anything on the show, we talked to Cat Jamie and Steve Francis earlier about the documentary The Grizzly Truth. Again, that uh, premieres tomorrow at the VIF Theatre. Uh, you can check that out on the podcast as well. We've watched it. Mm-hmm. We've seen it. We've seen uh, The Grizzly Truth. And uh, definitely, if you have a chance, check it out because it does give you an opportunity to relive that moment, but if you didn't have a chance to listen to Steve Francis, you may or may not like what he said, but that was asking the questions. And and one of the things we asked him as well was, why not Vancouver? Why didn't it work here? Well, for me, uh, the year before, you know, I, I pay attention to basketball. I knew I was going to be a number one or number two pick and noticing that Mike Bibby was a point guard. And I know he's a great basketball player, but for me coming up from Maryland, um, I needed the basketball in my hand to show what I can do. So uh, with no disrespect, I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. You got to understand what type of player you were getting with me. You're seeing him now with John Morant. So try to pair John Morant with uh, Mike Bibby. It'll be hard. So um, definitely a lead guard that needed the basketball. Um, so I hope that, the, you know, people can understand that, um, I guess growing up where I grew up, I seen a lot of things that, you know, I, uh, you know, feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Steve Francis from earlier in the People's Show. You can go listen to the full interview on the People's Show podcast as well. Uh, we'll be back next week, and uh, we'll be back tomorrow, actually. We're both at the game uh, tomorrow night at Rogers Arena. Or actually uh, here. It's it, it's yeah. in Seattle, so yeah. we'll be uh, here at the Broadcast Center and um, looking forward to it. You can expect probably Maddie Beneers to play in that game. Oh, yeah. Shane Wright, I know you guys talked about him in the postgame show. Different type of player. Mm-hmm. Veneers, watch out, man. One of the more exciting players to watch in the NHL, I think, over the next two years. Connect Central on the way. Dan Riccio, Satyar Shaw coming up here on the home of the Canucks, Sports Night 650.